fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And we are drinking and talking about cooperative games today, which is a topic that I am very, very, very excited about. What about you? Yep. Yep. It's our probably our favorite of the mechanics that we're going to go through in this kind of series that we're doing. So consequently, it's also the one that I think we've probably like taken the least time to prepare for. We're like, oh, this is our favorite. We'll just kind of, you know, we'll just wing it. It'll be fine. Yeah, I, I, I narrowed it down to like with our recommendations, you get like three, like the low, medium and complex recommendations. And I narrowed mine mm-hmm. down to about 23. So there you go. That's I think that's reasonable. I we'll just do like a rabbit. <laughs> we'll just do a rabbit fire here at the end. And I'll just start naming board games. But yeah, so before we dive into the topic, what, what's on your flight tonight? What are you drinking? Tonight I am drinking Long Branch, uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, which is distilled by Wild Turkey. Um, and I'm branching out a little bit. Wild Turkey is not typically one of my favorites, so that's why it was a bit of a stretch. But it caught my eye because I like the bottle shape. I collect the corks of like bottles that I finish. Um, and I really liked the cork on this one. It has kind of a cool design and a cool shape. And then when I picked it up, it is uh, Matthew McConaughey came alongside and sort of like co- co-designed it. Which when I saw it, I was like, well, it's probably bad then, right? Because like a celebrity comes in and so they're like just wanting like the name brand on it or whatever. My feeling on it is that it's like, okay. Like I think it is, it's in the high 30s and I think I wouldn't pay high 30s for it again. So it's probably jacked up because like Matthew McConaughey's name is on it, which is, you know, which is probably expected and fine. It's a little oily, which I don't like oily bourbons typically, but it's almost like slick and the legs on it are like almost non-existent, which is like if it has... Um, like, like if you, legs would be when you tilt the glass and you see like the water bead down it, and that I like will happen how you for just, very. You can read my mind and understand what question I'm going to ask before I even ask it. Yeah, <laughs> and like, yeah, what what are legs? Um, that's also like a that's a wine term. Also, um, I think it was actually probably popularized there. I don't know that for a fact, but it means that there's a higher water content, and so if something is very high, like if you took like Bacardi like 151, um, it would have no no legs because the legs are the water. Um, accumulating on the glass as the alcohol evaporates out and dripping down because water has a really high surface tension so it wants to hang out together and so it like accumulates as a droplet on the glass and then comes down and then you see like a a line of liquid on the edge of the glass where it was tilted and now the liquid that was falling below the other thing that can cancel that though is if it's like an oily an oily liquor then the uh, oil has a lower surface tension and so it will have fewer legs and so that's like what that can mean and there's actually a lot of other factors that go into like what can make legs um, but because this has a fairly low alcohol content at 43%, which means it has a consequently high water content, you would expect it to have legs and it doesn't, which means that it's oily. After that, it's sort so it's sort of like you taste it and it's like slippery and then it goes away and it leaves you with like a smoky taste afterwards, which is actually kind of nice. That's like the part that I do like. And it's very like wood forward. So like bourbon can also have like vanilla or it can have um, sometimes like honey and like other flavors that are like wrapped into it. This one's like very woody. And then it goes away and then you have like a smokiness afterwards, which is like kind of nice. So that's why I say like there are nice things about it, but things I also don't like and it ended up just kind of like being okay. Um, so I will probably use it as like a, here, you want to try a whiskey that Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> here, let me pour this for you. And Ooh. I'm going to have this other thing. I, exactly. I, I'm very, I'm very excited to try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the good thing it, is it's like a very simple like flavor profile. So it's like, if you want to taste like wood and smoke, this is what that is. But yeah, no, that that's really cool. I, I, I like how we've kind of transitioned into the, uh, beer board games books bourbon and science podcast now uh <laughs> learning about evaporation and condensation mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right well yeah that's what's on my flight what's on your flight tonight 
you're going to be very, very proud of me. So I went oh, to the okay. store. Yeah, yeah. I went to the store to buy a a, a beer for this episode, right? I was like, I'm going to get... I'm going to get something that's not an IPA. Like I've been doing IPAs like this entire time. I'm going to do something that's, that's not an IPA. And or so an I, IPA? Or, or an IPA or a pale ale. I was, okay. was going to get something <laughs> I dark. I was waiting for the shoe to drop. <laughs> no, I, I was, I was waiting. I was going to get something dark. And so, so I went to the store and then I saw the IPAs and I ended up getting an IPA, but it's the thought that counts. I thought about not getting an IPA and, and I did, I, I did get an IPA, but I went to the store with the intention of not getting it. So. <sighs> well, you're right. I was proud of you. <laughs> but anyways, I, I picked up a, uh, a an IPA that I've actually had before. It's called Liftoff, and it's by Daredevil Brewing Company, which is a brewing company right right outside of Indianapolis, or right in Indianapolis. Uh, okay. And it's it's a West Coast IPA. So the the West Coast IPA is it's a, it's a little bit more hoppy. So it uses it uses the hops to kind of um, get bitter flavors or like pine flavors, fruity flavors, as opposed to like the hazy IPA, which kind of uses the hops to get the aroma more so. Um, so okay, it, it it's kind of what I like. It's less malty, but it and it like hits harder, which which is why I picked it up because I was like, Ooh, I like West Coast IPAs, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but th- there are a couple different IPAs which I'll probably end up getting into in later episodes as i go through the spectrum of ipas but so the west the west coast ipa is is you know less hoppy than like a double or triple ipa this one is sitting at a 7.2 percent abv and it's like 72 percent ibu which that's the international bitterness unit or something like that is that right yeah it's it's something like that I, i don't remember what it's called exactly but basically the higher the number the more bitter the beer is and so, like, some of your doubles and triples are going to be upwards to 100 or over 100, whereas, like, a Pilsner or something is going to be, like, less than 10. And so, 70, 72 is kind of, like, getting into the the higher hop range. So, if I was going to walk myself up, then this would be, like, my second or third step in evolution of IPAs. Yeah, so when you're, when you're going from, like, a stout or a porter, which is something that's going to be very low in IBUs, it's not going to be hoppy, like, at all. You move into, like, a session IPA. Which would be more like all or there's an all day IPA by Founders, uh, which is phenomenal. I I love that beer. Uh, that that's around like probably like forty five ish, and then like as you move up into like an APA, it's gonna be like sixty. Then this is uh, seventy two, and then you're gonna get like your triple IPAs are gonna be like ten thousand. They're actually not gonna be that high. <laughs> right about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the the one thing that like with the higher IBUs. It, it makes me thirstier, and so okay, <laughs> I have to I have to remember that my thirst will not be quenched by drinking more of the high IBU beer. <laughs> <laughs> especially when you're especially when you're recording a podcast episode, you need to be able to like enunciate with some sort of clarity. Exactly. So I, I'm going to yeah. be double fisting here with my water uh, to okay. make sure that <laughs> to make sure my voice doesn't get too raspy. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm enjoying this one. I I, I bought it actually. I went out and I I was gonna go and buy it probably like yesterday, but then we had your little or we had a, like a surprise birthday party for Dalton on Zoom. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I went out awesome. I went out earlier to get one because I had run out of beer, so I could have a beer with the birthday boy. So yeah. <laughs> so belated happy birthday to you, Dalton. Thank um, you. Which I was actually I was drinking wine for, um, but then I switched to whiskey later in the call. You know, so I got to hit all my major food groups. Yeah. I think the only <laughs> thing you're missing is 
ice cream and peanut butter. <laughs> ice cream and peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> and Twizzlers. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought you meant the true Twizzlers. quarantine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the quor- the quarantine food pyramid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My my like food progression over this quarantine has gone from like. Oh, it's like, oh, cool. We get to stay home. It's like a sleepover. I'm just going to eat whatever the hell I want. And then it's like, it's gotten into like, my body hurts. I need to eat real food. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm I'm into like actually eating slightly healthier than before the quarantine. Just because my body's like, I need, I need something. (laughs) Please give me something green. (laughs) (laughs) So let's, let's get back on, on, on task. What's been on your table? Have you been playing anything recently? On my table, I tried um, Orleans recently. I love that game. Yeah, I didn't realize you had played it. I played it for the first time over uh, Tabletop Simulator, and I think, I feel like that's a, it's either like a top 25 or it's like right there, like it's like 26th or something. And so it's it, it's right there, and I really liked that game. It felt like, it took like the elements that I like out of Scythe and added like a like a bag building element, you know? So there's that like little bit of randomness of you're, you're like buying workers, like worker tokens and like throwing them into this bag and, and then drawing a random assortment of them and then you're trying to complete different actions based on um, which workers you drew i like bag building as a mechanic it's sort of similar to the deck building that we talked about in the last episode um in this one you're not like drawing all the way through your bag so you're kind of but it has that same feel of like trying to control the randomness of your bag as you go um and you know am i trying to buy like higher higher like more powerful workers or but what if i don't draw them do i need to just get like an assortment of you know like the low level workers or whatever to complete normal actions more frequently um, so kind of trying to make those decisions. You know, we both do. We have very analytical minds. We, like, break board games apart, like, the first time we see them and play them. We try to, like, understand them. I was terrible at that game. I, I was <laughs> god-awful. I think the winner doubled my score. Oh, like, ooh, I, it, ooh. It was really ooh. bad. I had, like, 60, and he had, like, 130-something. It was, like, really bad. This game is, like, like a thousand tiny cuts that, like, added up over time, <laughs> you know? And it's, like, I, I knew, like, well ahead of time. I was, like, man... I have lost this game so hard, <laughs> but that, I still I really enjoyed it. it. It is frustrating, and that, that was one like I guess complaint is I knew like way ahead of time, but also that that I had lost. But also it was like okay, this is kind of my fault. Like I see where I've gone wrong. You know, I could do things to try and remedy it, but I also like you know I built my bag in a certain way, so I'm kind of locked in. Um, but the game wasn't like too long to where I felt like it was just dragging on. And also there's very little downtime in that game. You actually take almost all your turns simultaneously, um, which I love when a game does that. It was like I was still able to play even though I was losing. So I didn't feel bad to like continue playing the game. And it wasn't like too long to where I was like just stuck like wallowing and how bad I had lost. So yeah, I, w- I would highly like recommend the game, especially if you like engine building, if you like bag building and those types of elements. I, I really had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I think I've played it once, maybe twice. And I, I really gotcha. liked it. I really liked I think there was a mechanism in the game that was like kind of trashing your workers. But basically you sent them off to a sideboard to do something. Yeah. I thought that was awesome i I really like that mechanic on how to like thin Mm -hmm. your bag or thin your deck on like yeah like to get some of the unneeded workers out there to like because it was like was it a one-time ability action it's it's one of the it's one of the actions that you can do on your board yeah so you can do it every turn if you want to and actually the guy who won built his whole strategy around doing that action um and like halfway through the game the point where i realized i had lost um so the three of us all three of us are in my work dominion group and so we're very familiar with like the terms that we kind of talked about last week, like trashing cards and that sort of thing. And so myself and the other guy, the guy who did not win, we were both off like doing other things and ignoring this mechanic. And, and the guy who won was focused on that mechanic. And I, I said at some point, I was like, oh, that's the trash mechanic in this game. Like, that's how you get workers out of your bag. And we all sort of went like, oh. 
And that's when like both he and I realized like we lost, (laughs) like we're too far behind, you know, because he had the other guy had been like thinning his deck with it. But it it was a cool way to take like trashing and still make it like you can score a ton of victory points doing that, like the way the mechanic is built. So it was a cool sort of like double dip. I just like neither of us realized at the front how critical it was to be doing that. It's definitely one that I want to get get to the table again because I haven't played it in probably like two years. Yeah. As soon as I played it, I was like, oh, I bet that's a game Nelson would like. Because Nelson, you know, you've listened already and know Nelson really likes engine builders. And that's kind of the core of that game. So as soon as I played it, I was like, if you haven't played this game, I need to buy it and show it to you because it's, it's really good. Yeah, it, it's a great, 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 great game. So yeah, I've, I've been playing a lot of games. So when when the quarantine started, we, we kind of set out this thing where it's like, I'm, we're going to play a board game every day. And it was awesome for like the first 60 days. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> and like it is still a lot of fun but like i like my summer classes have started come like I, i'm going through like my my uh graduate program and like so my summer classes have started and those go later into the night and so like yeah i like walk downstairs i'm like dead tired because i've been sitting in the same spot for like 14 hours during the day i'm like okay we have to yeah. play a board game <laughs> i'm like no no oh, jeez. <laughs> like i can't think so a lot of a lot of the Instagram posts have been like, like pretty simple games like King Domino or like cooperative games, which is kind of fun for like the, uh, the the topic yeah. that we're gonna have tonight. But it's been just like oh man, I don't want to think. But yeah, <laughs> but it's been really fun. I was, I so I was talking with the the Mad Board Gamer from the Gamecasters podcast. Yeah. I was talking with him on on Instagram about uh, terraforming Mars. Um, so he, yeah. he, he has terraforming Mars and we were talking about the prelude expansion for terraforming Mars, right. which is just like a kick start to your expansion. I think we've talked before where you think that seven wonders leader is the greatest expansion of all time. I think I have to modify right. that. I think prelude is the greatest expansion to a board game of all time. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's just cause you like terraforming Mars so much though, I, I <laughs> but it, it is amazing. It probably I, is. I totally agree. It, it really is. It cuts off a good bit of time, but basically what prelude does is it like kick starts your engine. So you get like two like prelude cards where like maybe you get a little bit more production or you get to terraform a little bit. So it kind of gives you it like sets you in your ways. And so like um, I we we were talking and he he played with prelude for the first time and he really liked that. But so like talking with him, um, we I was like okay I got to play terraforming Mars again. So we played terraforming Mars on uh, Sunday. I every single time I play that game, I'm reminded of how good that game is. I oh man. It was so good. I played the uh, Saturn Systems, which is the the corporation that wants to get the Jovian tags, and we. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it, it was just it was a great play. I it was I went for like a high science, high card drawing engine just so I could see if I could like mm-hmm. draw the Jovian tags because one oh, of the yeah, yeah. mechanisms in the game is there are cards that it's like you get one point for every Jovian tag you have, and the tag being like a symbol that's on the card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was drawing multiple multiple cards a turn and i only found one of them so i only ended up getting like four points for my jovians which is like nothing (laughs) but wow yeah that's kind of surprising i mean it is kind of like a it's a function of terraforming mars like sometimes you just don't draw draw the right cards but it's nice that the game allows you to sort of try to mitigate that you know but it is painful when you like spend resources to try to mitigate it and then it doesn't pay off still and it's like oh man i'm really in trouble here it was a it was a fun playthrough because it was a different strategy than i had tried before we did film that one for the time lapse Tuesday that we released, and so we threw it up on Instagram and uh, uh, Twitter, and 
Stronghold Games, which is the publisher of Terraforming Mars, uh, retweeted us and then responded to at Bowtie Writer, who is um, who who had commented on our post, and he he had said this is one of those games that I'm going to spend a fortune uh, on accessories for. And Stronghold Games responded to him saying, "Just wait and see what we are bringing out for this." Dot 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 smiley face. And oh man, talk about cliffhangers. Because <laughs> <laughs> Talk about dangling the bait. Yeah, <laughs> come it's on, like, don't leave me hanging. Okay, well you you gotta you gotta you gotta let me know. You can't just you can't just like do that and sign off. <laughs> right, let, let, right. Because we've we've always complained about terraforming Mars. Like the only place it has a gap is in components, right? Because it's honestly kind of a mess on the board, which is why you've gone and like printed all this. You know, printed different pieces for yourself. You know, you can get organizers for yourself through like broken token or, or other things just because it, it just comes all in a bunch of bags in a box that's all you get there's no organization to the game at all um, and so i'm wondering if that's part of what they're kind of keying in on there is like if there's a gap in our game it's it's this it's components and organization if they're trying to put something out to fix that yeah i can see terraforming mars deluxe coming out and, yeah, and then like yeah. you can buy you've already said in an earlier episode that you would throw <laughs> money at that oh yeah yeah <laughs> and then if they have like the upgrade kit yeah, I, I would buy that. I would buy that mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. There, there would be no mm-hmm. question about that. Okay, let's hop into icebreaker questions. And so we we put out feelers to try and get people to send us some icebreaker questions, and it paid off. So we, we have some icebreaker questions. So instead of yeah. one of us asking uh, the other person icebreaker, let, let's go to our Instagram because that's, that's kind of where we got the first responses. And we'll try and do them in order as we get them. So let's pull that guy up. Okay, so our, our first board game icebreaker question submitted from a fan is from the instagram handle pots underscore mcgee and his question to us is what is the first game you played so much that you got sick of oh i already know your answer (laughs) what's my answer your answer is dominion yes that is true (laughs) (laughs) i i think i think dominion is preceded like a week in front of pandemic like mm. I think I think mm-hmm. I hit that threshold of Dominion and Pandemic right at the same time because those were like the two board games that we had in college and we just yeah. played them all the time. And then I remember yeah. I went to a game store down in South Indiana on my way home one time and dropped like $200 and just like came back with like a stack of board games like we're playing these now. <laughs> and so <laughs> But yeah, so my my answer as you, as you said was Dominion followed very closely with Pandemic. And both of those I've like taken a five-year break from and so i i'm tabling both of those pretty frequently now what about what about you what is the board game you got sick of yeah that's a that's a really good question and it's i think my like first instinct is to go to gateway games i think that's probably true for a lot of people right like i think um Catan would probably come to mind for a lot of people um i think we call seven wonders a gateway game i don't know if everybody does but like it was kind of one of ours and so i think of that one but i still love seven wonders i'm still happy to play it so, <laughs> so yeah so i wouldn't I wouldn't include that one. And, and this is a hard one because like, I'm not quite sick of playing this game, but I would throw code names in there. I get a little bit tired of code names. Um, and it's hard because it's such a good game and I still do really enjoy it. Um, I think that the trouble is that like when I'm like, we don't have a really good pool for games that are, that fit over like eight people. I think we've talked about that before. And so like, it's, it's 
when, when like we are hanging out and there's like a large group of people, it's like basically the, the thing that's natural to bring to the table. My family does the same thing. And so like my family always wants to play it and it is a really good time and everyone's having a good time. So like I really enjoy it. But like my experience of it just kind of like drops off because like I've played it so much at this point that it's just like if I was playing it less frequently, I think I would enjoy it more, you know? So I'm still willing to play it. It's just like if, if we have a large group of people and everyone's like, um, what do we want to play? It's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to throw anything out there that's like not a code names. Cause I'm like, I've played and I play enough code names in a given year that I don't really need to play more of it. That's a hot take right there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's some, yeah. there some people that will be mad if they hear you say that because code, code names is a beloved game. Yeah. it Oh, it it's is. a great game, but I, I can, I can see that. Especially like when I, I do enjoy code names that like the six player count a little bit more because with eight, yeah. it just, you get so much arguing back and forth between the team, but yeah. Okay. And there is like, you know, criticism of code names. There is a ton of downtime because like half of the time you're not doing anything. Right. And so like, if I'm the like clue giver, then I enjoy code names more, code names more because like I'm actively involved. But if I know it's like a group of like 10 and I'm just going to be like a member of a team, I'm not going to be like actively involved and, and they may not even need my input, you know, like when it is our turn, if the clue giver gives like a fairly straightforward clue. Um, so I just kind of like struggle to like stay engaged in it. So I still enjoy it, but I, I am more tired of it than like when it first came out. And I was like, that was all I wanted to play. You want to do one more? Yeah, that was a great one. Let's do one more. Yeah. So th this one also came from Instagram. This is from uh, user handle M underscore Sirocco. And his question, oh, this, this is a mean one. This is, I don't know if I want to answer this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay we'll just edit it out it's fine yeah okay if you had to remove one from your life entirely what would it be books board games or alcohol oh man <laughs> oh why'd you do that oh that i literally created a podcast so i could talk <laughs> about those things <laughs> i don't i don't like that question I, no. Well, I do like the question because it makes me think. I'll go first. I think, yeah, I, I would have to remove alcohol. And that does make me sad because I I enjoy the, the culture of it. I enjoy, like, you know, exploring, like, new alcohols and figuring out what I like and, like, developing my own palate and, like, all that. But when I think through board games, board games are the first one that I would, that like, when I went through those three, it's like I would absolutely not give up board games. Agreed. There's no way I would do that. Um, because the other two are selfish things and the board game is a communal thing, right? It's like, I'm doing this with people. There's no way that I would ever like give that up because then like, I wouldn't be able to spend time like with you or with like groups of friends. Like those are group activities that I just like, I just, I can't give that up. And then like books are like sort of the same. It's just like not to the same degree, but like typically I'm reading books. First of all, as like a, like a personal like I'm like regulating myself, right? Like I, I read books to like escape or I read books to calm down or I read books to give my mind a rest. Um, I read books for enjoyment. There's a lot of like personal emotional reasons why I read books. They kind of keep me healthy. And then, but I also read them because like you and I read the same things. We're going to have like discussions about them and we're going to share them with friends and I'm going to talk about them with my uncle and I'm going to talk about them with like all these people and I'm going to like enjoy that conversation. So again, it's like, it is personal, but it's also like external and I'm not going to be able to give that up. Alcohol is like a very personal thing, right? Like it, um, it doesn't make me healthier. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you know, I want to <laughs> pretend it does. It doesn't. Um, I think I have more friend, more fun like around groups of people when I am drinking, but I also know that I could have fun around those groups of people without the drinking. So I, I would have to give up the alcohol. What about you? Okay, so I, I want to I ask a clarifying question before I answer the question. So I have been told mm -hmm. many times by my wife that I am not allowed to say that I am reading a book when I'm listening to an audio book. And so if <laughs> I give up books, 
can I still listen to audiobooks? <laughs> can I just give up reading? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like honestly, the the real answer would have to be the alcohol. Uh, <laughs> it's for the, for the same reasons that you, that that you gave. And I I I really do enjoy the board game the community. Like that that was the one that I was like I well, I'm not going to give this one up because I I of those three, that's the one I probably enjoy the most. And then the books, like that, that just helps me. I, I like to think about books because I, I have a very analytical mind and I like the books that kind of like help me immerse myself into a world where I don't necessarily need to analyze everything. I like to do that, but like there are books out there where I can just like sit back, relax and just like listen to it. So like the lit RPG series that we've been listening through, like some of those where oh, yeah. it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's a happy going like, and I can just kind of escape a little bit. I had a friend describe those types of books as like like a popcorn series you know yeah, like yeah, it's sort yeah. of like a snack like you just kind of enjoy it and it's not like it's not super deep i talked about the rosie project in the previous episode that was kind of like that book filled that for me um there, there's a bunch of books that we read that are like very intense and very serious and then there are books like that that you just kind of read because it's fun to pick up and enjoy so yeah i, I totally hear you yeah so m underscore sirocco that was a rude question but i think we're both going to settle on alcohol <laughs> for that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would make for a less enjoyable podcast for you all though so think yeah. carefully before you ask questions like that <laughs> yes please <laughs> please submit responsibly <laughs> <laughs> please submit responsibly <laughs> so so a little plug right here we we are loving getting the icebreaker questions we're not looking at them beforehand which is why there's a little bit of a delay us pulling them up but Send mm-hmm. them in. Uh, so send them to our, uh, our our Gmail, which is fantasyandsomeflights at gmail.com. And if you, or send them to our Instagram or just contact us. If you do that, just in the like uh, subject line, just put like books icebreaker or board games icebreaker. That way we know not to like look at it. Send us yep. more because th- those are fun. I, I enjoy both yeah, kind of thinking on them. Yeah, th- those are good. Yeah, thanks guys. All right, so let's dive, let's dive into the main topic. Let's talk about cooperative games. And Let's do it. I'm actually like kind of surprised that our intro went like I don't think it went long, but like how excited we are to talk about these games. I thought we would try and skip a couple of those segments just to dive in. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> just like okay, I am drinking bourbon. What are you drinking? <laughs> I, I don't know. It's something with alcohol. But let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's define a cooperative game. Okay. It, it's it's a little bit easier to define than a deck building game because anyone yeah. who's not played it knows the words right so like a deck mm-hmm. build- <laughs> true, yeah. a deck building that's game. true yeah you know like inherently what cooperative means yeah. yeah before stepping onto the table yeah so so what what are some of the traits or what, what would you give a definition of a cooperative game what would, what would that look like to you yeah the main thing i think that like sets a cooperative game apart is that success in the game is defined by the players winning or losing together right like the players at the end should have the same status or score typically Although, like, a lot of cooperative games don't use score, right? But, like, uh, the ga- the players will either all win together or they will all lose together. That, that would be one characteristic in general of cooperative games. Maybe maybe now would be a good time to take that definition, which I think is a great definition, and kind of talk about maybe what we're not including in this discussion. And Sure, yeah. So one of, one of the things that I am not including is, like, an asymmetrical game. So, like, a Descent or a Star Wars mm. Imperial Assault, which these are games that are right. like dungeon crawlers where one player is controlling the bad guys and the other three players are controlling the heroes. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I did trail at the house on the hill. You could include that. Yeah. There, potentially. Yeah. Where, where one kind of turns on the rest. And 
So I, I kind of left those games out because a fully cooperative game is you win or lose together. No, and I would say as far as asymmetry goes, um, you know, I think uh, another term for that might be like one versus all or something for like Imperial Assault and games like that. Um, because we do expect cooperative games to have asymmetry to them in that we expect like asymmetrical player powers, right? Pandemic, Spirit Island, many of the like iconic, or just many of the cooperative games that you think of at all have a have asymmetry between the players and we'll talk about why that is. Um, but the main thing is that there's not competition, right? That would be the main thing is that you could you could view that almost as almost binary. Something either has competition or it has cooperation. And so far in board games, there's not a lot of room in the middle. Um, you might consider things like legendary that have, um, you're trying to complete the game together, but then you compare like some sort of final score. But I think like for us at least, We've never really played with that because that's not interesting to us. That just is kind of poorly executed and it doesn't really work. And and it really it's a detriment almost. Like if you're it if is, you're yeah, playing to optimize your score, it's going to be very hard for you to win some of the harder scenarios. For sure. So yeah. So we're considering basically just the the strictly cooperative things here. I think some iconic examples um, as we start to talk about cooperative games. I know the first one I played I think was well actually I have two now that I think about it. Um, so. The first one that I played seriously would would have been Pandemic, which we talked about Same. Um, in the yeah in the icebreaker, and that is I think probably a lot of people's it's a it's almost it's almost the basic cooperative right it's almost like a cooperative with like it's like the bare minimum of a, of a cooperative game that has at least some level of complexity to it. So Pandemic is not it's it's a board game. It's not actually what we're living in right now. That those are two things. That, it's, <laughs> it's two things that we're talking about differently. But basically, what pandemic is is you you are controlling a, a a hero or a character with some power, and there are four diseases that have outbroken across the world, and your goal is to find cures for all the diseases. And you're working together to do this, and you're drawing from a deck of cards, which gives you different actions you can charter, and you have to mitigate the spread of the disease while at the same time trying to balance trying to make the cure for the disease and some of the asymmetrical player powers do one or the other better very classic game it's probably one of the um i mean if you if you like remove Catan, it's probably like one of the top Mm -hmm. gateway games that people play it's very approachable Mm -hmm. for new gamers because it's a cooperative game if i'm teaching someone a, a board game in the sense of like a strategy type board game or like if i want to get them into a euro pandemic is one of the games where i start because it's a cooperative game because it's typically with a cooperative game, everyone's winning or losing at the same time. So it's everyone's experiencing the same emotions. And so if you mm-hmm. throw someone yep. into a game of like Catan and someone's played 300 games of Catan, and you're playing with someone who's never played a game of Catan before, it's probably not going to be a very good experience for them because they will lose. However, if someone's played right. 300 games of Pandemic and you throw someone, a new player in with a game of Pandemic, you all win or lose together. And so it's a much more positive experience for a new player as well. I, I read in preparation for this uh, episode that Matt Leacock, who designed Pandemic, did it after realizing that uh, competitive games were damaging to his relationship with his wife. And so he wanted a, a game that he could play kind of with her. Um, so Pandemic was not the first cooperative game, but it was one of the more popular early ones. Um, the first one that I played, and I think is one that's, again, maybe not the first cooperative game, but kind of defining for the genre, um, is the Lord of the Rings cooperative board game? Have you ever played that? I have not. And you're are you yeah. talking about? You're not talking about Journeys to Middle Earth, right? Jer- it's not Journeys to Middle Earth. I think Journeys to Middle Earth was 
I haven't played it, so I, don't, I actually don't know a lot about it. It's a very Gloomhaven-esque type. Oh, okay, no. Okay, no, okay. It's like, there, there's like a tracker that has like the hobbits on it, and then there's a uh, a tower that represents Sauron, and, and if any, if Sauron ever like captures any of the hobbits, or like like they're like moving towards each other, like the hobbits start like totally safe, and they move towards the right, and Sauron starts on the far right, and he moves towards the left, and he, if he ever like enters the same space as one of the hobbits, then that player basically is removed from the game and the hobbits have like different powers. I remember the first time I played it was like in early high school and I wasn't a big board gamer and I didn't like it. It was too, like, I, I just didn't get it. And like, it was, it was really hard. It's also, it's like a really hard game. Now I think if I went back and played it, I think I would really probably enjoy it better, but it had a lot of those early elements of a cooperative game that you look for, like the asymmetrical player powers and that sort of thing. So that was my kind of like first experience. It's kind of an iconic cooperative game in that sense. Yeah, mine was definitely Panic. But I, I do like what you said, like that, what 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 do you look for in a cooperative game? And you said asymmetrical player powers. So let's dive into that a little bit more. Like, what are some of the traits that you are looking for? Or like, what are good traits and what are bad traits to like a cooperative game? Like, what, what would make you say, ooh, that's good. And I think asymmetrical player powers is number one for me. There are a couple of games that don't have asymmetrical player powers that I enjoy that are cooperative. And I want to get into those a little bit in the review section, mm-hmm. but those are kind of outside of the normal cooperative game of like, you know, we're going to sit down and we're going to play Pandemic. Right. Asymmetrical player powers are are something that I really look for, right? Like you two, I assume. Absolutely. Yeah. The And I think one of it is that that, that a player, it's a co-op, as a cooperative game, you need to feel like you're kind of like playing your part, like you're contributing, right? And so the asymmetrical player powers... Or, or like having maybe it could also be like having responsibility for like a different task or a different like part of the game that like only you can do for some reason, um, and that encourages teamwork and it encourages uh, selfless decisions. So like you know you might have a character who can who is like better at tanking damage for some reason, right? We've we've hit that in like Eldritch Horror or Arkham Horror Living Card Game where you have characters that for whatever reason ha- maybe they have more health or they have more of some, or something else or they can reduce the amount of damage that they're taking. You know, maybe they have some sort of shield or something. And so that that leads them to kind of jump into danger ahead of their teammates because they're like, this is my job. Like, let me do this. And that feels like you are making, like, first of all, you get to feel like you're kind of making that sacrifice, kind of maybe getting back to the hero concept. You get to play the hero a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it encourages the teamwork and every team member kind of has to play their role because if that person isn't taking that damage, then someone else has to. And now the team kind of like falls apart. Right, and so now you you're losing the game only because you made decisions that didn't directly play into what you're kind of good at or what your responsibility is on the team. Absolutely, I think we kind of dived into that a little bit in our Gloomhaven episode where we talked about how in a, like a two player party, it'd be very hard to have a party composition that didn't include like the brute, which is you know the damage taker, because you have to have it. Right. You have to have kind of a, a different subset of skills when when you're playing. Like it'd be harder, like if you're playing a cooperative game where you're playing two characters that are very similar. I I would expect that cooperative game to be harder than if you're playing two characters that are good at different things. Right. So absolutely Absolutely. something that I would look for in a cooperative game would kind of like play off of that idea is that there are multiple things that you have to be doing. You you have to, and this, this kind of plays into probably a point that we want to talk about later is, which is complexity, but I, I don't necessarily want a cooperative game where there's one thing to be doing. I want there to be like a mitigation of multiple different factors in a game. And I want uh, different players, their player power to be good at different things. So that, that way it, it does help combat 
the alpha gamer, which is what we'll get into where the player kind of takes over and plays a solo board game. Um, we'll probably get into that a little bit later, but if you have different factions or different abilities that are good at doing different things, it, it kind of helps the player realize like, oh, this is what I'm doing. This is what I need to contribute to the team, and I'm the best at doing that, so let me do that. To, to play off of that a little bit, again, kind of combating the the alpha gamer, um, a player needs to be able to... There, there's this balance in cooperative games where you want to be able to make decisions with the team, but you need to be able to make decisions independent of the team. And as I was I was doing some research um, preparing for this episode, there's there a really good paper. If, if I read their names, they would be I would totally mess it up. But Zagal et al. You know, I sound really fancy if I say it that way. We'll link it in the um, show notes, the and you one, can pr- try and pronounce exactly. it. Exactly, it'll be in the show yeah. notes if you want to find it. Um, but they they wrote an article: collaborative games, lessons learned from board games, and and they talked about in there that a player must have the ability to make decisions and take actions without the consent of the team. And the reason that's important is I, I want to be able to discuss what I'm doing with you, but I don't want to do everything based on like a vote, right? Like I need to have autonomy. I need to be have the power to influence the game of my own accord and only take so much input from the team or from the other players as is interesting to talk through, right? But not so much where they are, again, like you said, kind of telling me what to do or specifically where they can prevent me from doing something that I want to do. I should be able to take my own turn of my own accord in a cooperative game. That is interesting. I do really like that. And I, I didn't get to read the article before the podcast, but I'm definitely going to go uh, look it up in the show notes after it's done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that that is something that is a common theme amongst all of my top cooperative games, is that a lot of these games, you can discuss what you're doing with the team, but you don't have to do what the team says, right? You, mm-hmm. you can take right. you, you can take your own actions and you can do that. Okay, so we we've mentioned the alpha game. Let's just dive into it. Let's just get it out of the way. Let's let's talk about what the alpha okay. gamer is, why it's bad. The alpha gamer is the gamer or the person that's sitting at the table that tries to take over another person's actions so that they can play and try and make the optimal decision for for the team, for themselves, however they want to do that. And so th- this this pretty much like if if you could paint a picture, it'd be one person standing over a table and three people sitting back with their arms crossed, yeah. Kind of like That's watch, a good watching the, of it, yeah. And and it's like I've done I've played Pandemic before solo, so yeah. I've played four different characters in Pandemic, and I've just taken their action turn simultaneously. And that's what would that's what an alpha gamer would look like, but other people would be controlling those. They'd be like, hey, the optimal move for you to do is this, 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 and this. And I think Pandemic really suffers from like the alpha gamer problem. Because there's all of the information is so open and you do get better as you play more pandemic. And so when you're when you when you're down to that fiftieth play of pandemic, a new player may not understand what the best move is, but you do, and an alpha gamer will go out and tell them what that best move is. And it just morphs into this thing where the new player is just gonna listen to whatever the alpha gamer is saying that they should do and then do it. Then the new player is no longer playing the game. And so Yeah. You, you are the person that I sit down with, and I'm like, ooh, I like how Dalton handles new players with cooperative games to prevent the alpha gamer. And that's like, you you want to explain that, how you, how you like talk through like their options? Yeah, yeah. And and I think I, I thought about this for the first time playing Pandemic, and because I found myself wanting to do that, um, and maybe even seeing other players doing it. Um, and I also saw it in Axis and Allies, which is 
not not a cooperative game, but you know, two teams against each other. And so I saw it like within a team, where where one player, a stronger player, is telling the other player what to do. So instead of doing that, trying to say things like, "Okay, well, here are your options," and listing out like, "Here are the things that are that you're capable of doing on your turn." Because one thing about cooperative games is a lot of times there is the element of the the game fighting you going on, right? In Eldritch Horror, this is the mythos phase, right? In Dead of Winter, it's everything that the zombies do, like on their turn. In Gloomhaven, it's it's the enemy's turns, right? And and so there's this large component that is um, that can be really complex. There can be a lot of rules associated with it about what the board is going to do. That for a typical player actually like doesn't really matter. There can be one player who understands what's going to happen and just kind of like walks everyone through it, and then the other players just kind of focus on taking their turns. And so for a new player, it can be confusing. It can be like, well, there's all these rules, and it's like, no, no, no. Here's here's what you can do on your turn, right? Pandemic, there's like six actions you can take or whatever it is. And so kind of like refocusing them on, on that can help. Um, and then the other thing is if they're still, if you're able to like list through their options and say like, here are some things that you could do that would be helpful and they're still having a trouble making a decision, then I think you can start to talk through like, well, here's like maybe what our party needs right now. And you can ask that as a question, like what do you think our party needs um, to have happen? Or you can ask it to the table and kind of open it up for discussion. Or you can frame it up yourself. You can say something like, I see this as like a growing problem. Do you have a way to like combat that? Or do you have a way to do something about that? Yeah, and there there are games which I think are they're, they're not my favorite games where you a player has to actively take it upon themselves to not alpha game. So so one of the ways that I've seen this combated, um, or like the the game kind of sets up ways to mitigate the alpha gamer is, is like a limited knowledge versus like a total knowledge. So like pandemic, you could do that as like you're playing a hand of cards. We just play them on the table. Just it's a little bit easier to help think through because pandemic can be a very hard game depending on how you set up the epidemics in the deck. But like a uh, like Gloomhaven, which is a game that we've talked a lot about, which is, you know, a phenomenal game. And it, it has your, your character's actions are a hand of cards. And you are not allowed to necessarily talk with your char- or with your team of what you're going to be doing. You can get very vague information on what you're doing. Right. But like you cannot alpha game Gloomhaven because another player cannot pick your actions for you. You have to pick and choose what actions you're taking that round, which is a way to mitigate alpha gaming. Gloomhaven also has the other way that I've seen to mitigate the alpha gamer, which I prefer a little bit more, which is just complexity. Uh, if you yeah. can make a complex game that, you know, it's, it's just like a lot to go through. And it's like, I'm having a hard time figuring out what I'm going to do on my turn. I'm not even going to look at what you're going to do on your turn. Cause it's just too much. Right. It's just too right. much. So like, I think, Right. Arkham Horror has a or Arkham Horror LCG has a good like has this where you've built your like deck and you know what's in your deck mm-hmm. and like if I know what's in your deck I'm I that's just too much right like that's just a lot of knowledge right. that there are people out there that do it uh but that they're just smarter than I am <laughs> and then yeah I had um I had that exact same sort of thought process of like how do you combat an alpha gamer and I had hidden information as the first one a hidden hand of cards, a hidden personal objective, you know, anything that is like information that you have that the rest of the board does not. Complexity, you know, we see that in Spirit Island, which we've talked a lot about, Gloomhaven, some other ones. Um, And then the last one I had written down, you brought up a little bit in Gloomhaven, but I wanted to just call out specifically, is restriction on communication. Um, So Gloomhaven as a rule, and we talked about this in the Gloomhaven episode, episode five or something like that, a couple episodes ago where you are only, by the rules, only allowed to say certain things about what you're going to do that turn. 
Another game that came up when I was thinking about that that doesn't allow for alpha gaming, does not have hidden information, and is not complex, but does have a restriction on communication, So, which is what prevents it from having an alpha gamer, Magic Maze. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Magic Maze is a very simple concept where you are like a group of like fantasy adventurers like a wizard and a swordsman or whatever and you're basically exploring like a mall it's kind of a goofy concept and each player is only allowed to like make one like move a character in one direction so like i'm only allowed to move a character like north or whatever and nelson's only allowed to move characters south and then there's all the um, and then you're timed and so there's all of the character pieces on the board and each person is i'm only allowed to move north so i'm just like every time someone has to move north that's my job i have to do that but that's public information. Everybody knows what I can do, and there's no hidden information about what I can do. And it's not complex, because all I'm doing is like moving people around. But the key about Magic Maze is you're not allowed to talk. That's like one of the key rules. And actually, to get around that, there are like little, basically like safe spaces that you can go and grab, and it allows your team to talk for like one minute or something like that, right? So that you can be like, okay, here's what has to happen. And you have like a very quick discussion about strategy, and then you go back to not talking at all. Um, because otherwise, it would be very simple to alpha game that game, right? You would just be like, okay, hey, Nelson, I need you to move this character. Um, and, and you wouldn't have like a, it, it wouldn't be an interesting game, but it is interesting because you're not allowed to talk. That game is the most simple game that stresses me out the most. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is, it's really it's like, intense. Because, okay, so there's this little like red pawn that like your form of communication when you're not on one of those safe spaces is you can put the red pawn in front of someone, which just means do something. And that's the most stressful thing is like someone's just like tapping the red pawn in front of you. And you're just like, I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know what you want me to do. Like, <laughs> I don't <laughs> but know. But you can't say it. <laughs> and so you like, you like, they put it in front of you and you like move a piece and you're like, oh, I figured it out. And they like pick it up and slam it down again. Like, that wasn't it. And you're like, oh no, <laughs> what, what do I need to do? Yeah. But, and, and what I really like about that game is that it progresses through multiple levels. So like they get more complex as you go along. And so if you're sitting yep. down, you can play with a group of people that have never played the game before. Very easy to explain. And then you just kind of like go move on to the next level where it adds maybe the map gets a little bit bigger or you're not allowed to do right. this or, or stuff like that. And so that that's a game that I, I got in a trade a little probably a couple months ago. And it, it's been fun. Mm -hmm. Don't really love the two player variant. So I'm really excited for this pandemic to end. Uh, yeah, for so many reasons, I, for many reasons, but I do want to play <laughs> Magic Maze again. <laughs> it, we'll add it to the list for our uh, PTO board game extravaganza. The only other game that I wanted, or the only other trait that I wanted to point out for cooperative games in terms of what makes them good, and this is probably obvious, but it's worth saying that it must sort of, if you are competitive, you have to fail. And that's sort of the opposite of saying, like, if you're cooperative, you will win. But it, a good cooperative game gives you selfish options something like um i could i could take this small benefit to myself or, or maybe a large benefit to myself but a, a small benefit if i spread it amongst the party or something like that and you would have to like kind of consider that option and oftentimes if you like just did the math it would be very obvious like oh, I, have to, I spread it amongst the party but in the moment even though you like know that it's a cooperative game and you have to work as a team it gives you that choice and it, it can be a difficult decision right do i heal myself too or do i heal everybody one Right, that can be a difficult decision. And there can be times where healing yourself too is the right call for the party. But the game needs to give you that choice to act selfishly and show you how that will fail. Yeah, that's a great point. The last thing that I had in my notes was don't want to win every time. So <laughs> 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 But yeah, I mean there there and and games do it different ways. So there there are 
games out there where pandemic like the disease spread faster because you modify the deck a little bit uh in spirit island you can add invader traits where like if they invade into a land that doesn't have a town you build a town so that gets very dangerous it can get very dangerous really quickly and you can ramp that difficulty to your comfort level and so like when you start out playing a game you want to play on an easy difficulty to kind of like learn the rules and then like as you're playing more and more especially with the same group of people upping that difficulty is awesome because you you start to develop this like internal communication if you're not allowed to like talk like in gloomhaven you're not allowed to talk but it's like like the party members that i'm playing with i'm like i know what he can do and i know what he usually does in this situation and so you know you 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 just kind of get that rhythm after or like spirit island me and my wife have played we got spirit island two months three months ago and i think we've played 20 something hours of spirit island like we we have gone through that game, but it's so much fun because yeah. you got asymmetrical player powers. It is highly highly complex. Um, I I can't like I would not ever want to play two spirits in that game because you have your spirit powers, no you have your power card powers, which are different every game, and then also you can ramp the difficulty by adding different abilities and or effects to the game. And so every single time you yeah. play, it's a, a lot of modularity. Yeah, it's a completely different game every single time. And you can make it more difficult. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, we, we found ourselves winning pretty often. So it's like, okay, let's start stepping this up because it's like, we, we have this communication. It's like, okay, well, they're going to, they're going to ravage here. Can you do something about that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. So it's like, cool. I, right. I'm just going to ignore that part of the, the, the map now. And I'm going to focus over here. Right. And so I think if you want to isolate that, feeling of getting skillful in a cooperative game and like getting better as a group that would be the mind for me the mind is only that (laughs) yeah and it is strictly that part of the game so in the mind you deal out um, at the start you deal out if you haven't heard of this game it's it's a really funny concept comes in a tiny little box but it has so much replayability in it Um, at the start of the game you deal out one card to everybody and all the cards there are 100 cards and they're numbered one to 100 and your goal is to place them from the smallest number increasing to the largest number in order, right? So like if I have the number one, we're going to say like, you know, three, two, one, go. And, or if you're our group, you'll say three, two, one, let's jam. Because we like Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So three, two, one, let's jam. And if I have the number one, I'm going to play that down immediately because I have the the lowest number. But then everybody else is going to have to kind of figure out how long to wait before they play down the number, right? And so there's kind of this like meta that develops of like our team, what is our timing? How long do we wait for a jump of 10? How long do we wait for a jump of two, right? And if two people are looking at each other and they both kind of like uh, like stutter towards the middle, like what happens? Does our, you know, like who goes first depending on who's the more aggressive player? So there's just, that's the game and it's so simple that it kind of isolates that portion. Oh, and uh, I didn't say it. In the mind, you're not allowed to talk. That maybe is obvious. <laughs> Otherwise, this game would be very easy to play. But in the mind, you're not allowed to talk. And so that's why you're kind of having to wait um, so it isolates that portion of getting skillful and getting to get farther and farther in the game by getting dealt more cards. So by the end, you're ho- you're hoping to get to where you dealt like twelve cards with each player and you're trying to get all the way through all those numbers. It's a really fun game. You can you can get a ton of replayability out of it um, for a very simple concept. Yeah, and that that is one of the games where I am sitting down to explain the game. I'm like, okay, this sounds really dumb. I promise you, it is yes. significantly better than what it sounds like. So it's like I, I, I almost wish that I was able to play that game without needing to explain how the game is played. 
and you can almost do that yeah <laughs> but it's just like this game is going to be a lot more fun if you just try it and that's actually that's really funny because one of the uh, i guess downside or what what could make a cooperative bad for me is because the competitiveness of the game is removed it need the theme needs to be like on point and if you think through most cooperative games um they have excellent theming right dead of winter like we're surviving a a zombie apocalypse uh, Spirit Island, like you're this natural force that's trying to defend your home island from external uh, colonists. You know, El- Eldritch Horror, we're like defeating Le- Lovecraftian Horror. Like there's all these really epic, meaningful themes. And it's because the game has to find another way to engage you besides competitiveness. And the only, as I was preparing, it's really funny that you brought that up. The only game that I could think of that is a cooperative game that has a bad theme that I still like <laughs> is the mind. That's the only one I can think of. The only one after that is like Magic Maze, and I think it's just because like the theme is cute, but like not really yeah. like engaging, right? Like I don't feel like the imp- import of like trying to get my adventures through the mall or whatever. Yeah. Um, but most other ones have to engage you, and it's so that you get those moments of like I have to flip a card in Gloomhaven, and I'm like wincing, just hoping it's not like a failure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or I like get these huge celebration because like I got this hail mary attack, and I really needed a times two, and like I got it. Right. And the whole party screams, "You're like, yeah, we got it. Like we needed that." Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the things that I noticed, which kind of bounces off of that, is that there's only one game, and I did kind of joke saying that I had 20 recommendations earlier. I, I have a lot of recommendations for cooperative games. There's only <laughs> one game where the mechanic score is higher than the experience score. Um, oh, wow. And so yeah. I and that that is a little bit of a personal bias just because I enjoy cooperative games. I like to play them. But also, if you have a very high mechanics, that 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 is harder to play as a cooperative game uh, just because you yeah. want cooperative games to be somewhat approachable and you scale the difficulty in a different way. There, there are some exceptions to that rule, but... But yeah, I, I just kind of thought that was interesting. Is like the mechanics are lower on average than what a Euro game would be, but the experience right. is higher on average than like a, a heavy strategy game like that. So that's kind of like, that's what I had for what makes a co-op good versus like what makes a co-op bad. Um, so we both kind of talked about why cooperative games are one of our favorite genres or one of our favorite mechanics in a game. Um, so Nelson, just to ask you, like, why do you like cooperative games so much? Because I typically don't get to win games, and this is a nice chance <laughs> <laughs> for us to all lose together. So <laughs> I can just drag the team down, and then everyone's like me. <laughs> no, I, but, okay, but so that, that that is a joke, but there is some truth in that joke where I I do like cooperative games because it's it's a nice break from your traditional strategy or euro game where someone has to win someone has to lose where it's like okay if if you're playing that all the time then you know weaker players are not going to get rewarded as much whereas like a cooperative game it's a nice break i wouldn't want to play all cooperative games and i wouldn't want to play all euro games but it complements the euro games fairly well because you win or lose as a team. And it, it kind of brings us back because there have been some games and like, as I've gotten older, I don't really care as much, but there have been some games where like, I I'm a little upset after the game just because of how badly I have won or somebody has been upset sure. with how poorly they have lost. And that goes away mm-hmm. in a cooperative game because you're all on the same team. And so it's kind of a nice thing to kind of like, 
this this is probably way more than actually what is going on but it's like this when it comes down to it we're all doing this to have fun and to be together and it's just like cooperative games really bind the group when when you're playing and so i think that's really why i enjoy the cooperative games kind of sprinkled in is like almost as a like subtle reminder that hey we're all on the same team here let's let's play and have fun absolutely like i'm I'm playing a board game at its heart to spend time with you unless i'm like a competitive chess player or something (laughs) right like i'm 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 playing i'm playing this board game to like spend time with my family to like spend time with my friends when i'm bored at home during quarantine stuff like that and so like and like i have friends where like being competitive and being good at a game is what we find as fun so we play twilight imperium right And, and that that works for us but that same group really likes playing spirit island together really likes playing uh we play a lot of nemesis together also i don't know if you've played that i have played nemesis concept is like a a group of people trying to escape a a dying ship that's kind of being invaded by like think of um think of like dead space if you ever played that video game um also like you could feel like alien even just like the movie alien where it's like our ship is like shut down and there's like there's a there's all these like aliens that are trying to kill us that are like crawling out of vents and stuff Nemesis has a cool mechanic where, um, and Dead of Winter kind of also has this, where we either all lose together or some of us, some or all of us win. And what I mean by that is each person has like a secret objective where if all of us win, I have to also have like completed something or we have to like win in a certain way so that I personally win, but that only works if the whole group wins. So I'm still fully invested in all of us getting off the ship. But I want us all to get off the ship and for myself to have a certain number of like weapons or whatever. Right. There's like kind of like secret object it feels a lot like Dead of Winter in that sense. Yeah. Um, but really great theme again, like trying to escape the aliens. Right. Um, no alpha gaming because of like hidden knowledge, and the hidden knowledge in this case is first of all, like a bit of your hand of cards, but more importantly, like what your secret objective is. Um, there's complexity, asymmetrical p- player powers are a really a really good cooperative game that works for a group that is typically competitive. Um, because we still, it's like not necessarily everybody wins, um, but we are having to talk through the problems together. That that sounds awesome. I'm going to, I need to check that one out because I, that is, that is one of the very few board games where like someone has said it. I was like, I have not heard that word mentioned ever before. Like typically oh, really? I, I have an idea of like, okay, like even if I haven't played it, like I just, I love board games. So I do like way too much research on board games. And so it's like, Right. Oh, like, you know, Labosa. And it's like, I've never played that game, but I know exactly what it's like. I know the designer. I know how the actions work. And it's just like, <laughs> I very rarely. It is the overall 33 ranked game on uh, Board Game Geek, and it is 10 for thematic. Okay, cool. So I just apparently have blacked out part of <laughs> the board game community <laughs> because I, I have no idea why I've never seen that. But I'm. It was, I'm uh, let's see, I'm just looking at it now. I'm looking at it now. It was 2018 release. If I remember right, it was a um, it was a Kickstarter that like that shipped in 2018 or something like that. Yeah, we'll play it sometime. Yeah. Uh, we can play it over Tabletop Simulator or something like that. It's re- you'd like it. Okay, cool. So before we get back into like our recommendations on the low, medium, and complexity, is there anything else that you wanted to bring out on like a pro, a con, or a good, bad for or anything else? Yeah the um, the last thing I want to do if you are already kind of a involved in the board game hobby i think the great thing that cooperative games do um, that nelson already kind of brought up but i just wanted to kind of reiterate is that it allows you as the experienced 
board gamer to bring in inexperienced board gamers. And for a couple of reasons. One, Nelson already talked about how you've removed the competitiveness. And so me as the experienced board gamer, I'm not going to beat up on you, the inexperienced board gamer, because we're in this together. So that's that's a really good function of it. But the other like really great benefit of cooperative games is that it sort of localizes all of the complexity, or at least like most of the complexity, um, to what the enemy is doing on their turn. And so when I look, I, I introduce a lot of people to Dead of Winter um, because it's it's very approachable thematically for an inexperienced player. It's like, oh, hey, you want to like, survive a zombie apocalypse? Like everyone wants to survive a zombie apocalypse. So like, let's do that. But Dead of Winter in the, I don't remember what the phase is called. It's like the night phase or like the crisis phase or something like that. I, I think crisis is for one of them. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Crisis is the like, is the mechanic. It's like that one set of cards. I don't remember. There's there's a phase for like time passing, and there's a lot of complicated things that happen in that phase, but only one player needs to be able to do them right. Like you do the, I I make I'm the one who like spawns all the zombies. For people to take their turn, they really don't need to understand what's happening there. So I think it allows me to understand this complex game, but sort of like dumb it down for a new player. You can sort of do the same thing with Spirit Island of like, okay, so then we're gonna do the like the explore, build, and ravage phase, but, like, you really don't need to know how that works. Like, I will handle that. Just know that bad things happen. Yeah. No, that that's a really good point. I, I do think that bringing people in in a cooperative game really kind of opens their mind to, oh, this is what board gaming can be, and then um, easing mm-hmm. them into the complex cooperative or the uh, competitive games is really an easy step from, like, a pandemic or a... Uh, any of the other low complexity right. cooperative games. You want to dive into recommendations? Yeah, let's do some recommendations. So we're going to keep with the same uh, kind of strategy that we held in deck building episode a couple episodes ago, where we're going to walk through a simple recommendation each. And this time I did prepare two recommendations for each category because you did that last time. So this time, if you take mine, uh, I will be prepared. And we'll walk through kind of a very simple cooperative game. If you're just wanting to get your toe wet and kind of see what it's about, take one of these, um, a media complexity game, and then very complex game, which is where we um, tend to kind of hang out. So, Nelson, what would be your recommendation for a simple cooperative game? So, I I am not making a joke when I wrote down six. So, <laughs> you said that you came up with oh two. Oh, my goodness. I ranked six of them. And the, the one that I, I had at the top of the list is a little bit of hype and a little bit of I knew that you were not going to pick this game. Uh, and that's The Crew. And so the crew is a is a new game and it's a trick taking game, but it's a cooperative trick taking game. And so what a trick taking game is, if you think of like hearts or spades or euchre, where you're sitting across and typically it's like a team or, you know, you have to like bid. I'm going to take this many what they call tricks and everyone plays a card and then the high card or the trump card wins the hand. Then you have win, won the trick. What the crew does is it takes that entire concept and makes it cooperative. Like it's super simple because all, all it is is that there are four suits of cards. There's like pink, blue, yellow, and green. And then there are different missions that you go on. So the theme is like you are uh, launching into outer space, you're a space crew. And so the everyone gets dealt out the deck. And then like the first mission, you flip up the top card of like a little tiny, small little deck, which mirrors the big deck. And it, all it says is that the first player has to take the trick with the yellow four in it. And so you have to work with your team to make sure that the the player who is the first player 
takes the yellow four, just wins the yellow four. Very simple, but like it's it's simple in rule sets, but complex because as you go through, there are 50 missions in the book and it gets up to like, you know, level five. I don't want to spoil too many of the missions because they're fun, but like, you know, some of the like sub 10 level is like, here are the three cards and you have to take them in order. So now you have to take the yellow four first, then the green three, and then the pink nine. And so, and those are distributed out to different players and you have to like work together to make sure that it's like, oh, okay, so I see that Dalton needs to take the yellow four. I have the yellow four. How do I make sure that Dalton gets to take the trick with the yellow four in it? And so it, it really, it, it's it's phenomenal. Like, there, it is super hyped up right now, and there's a reason for that. Like, it just came out, and I, I picked it up for, like, 20 bucks, maybe? Like, it, it was not a lot of okay. money, like, at all. And so... It has a cool two-player variant, and it has you cannot talk about what your hand is, so it has the limited knowledge. But the way that you okay, yep, the way that you like communicate what you have in your hand is you have these little like uh, communication tokens, and you lay down a card from your hand, and you can say if it's your highest card, you put it on the t- your communication token on the top of that card. You can say that it's your lowest card of like the suit. So like you lay down the seven gr- or the green seven. You say it's my highest green card, my lowest green card. If you put it in the middle, it's my only green card. And that's the only communication that you can have. And so there's a little bit of strategy, whereas like as you progress through these missions, you start to understand like, oh, that's how you do it. That's okay. So no, I don't want to throw this card. I want this person to lead. And it's like, if you like trick taking games, you will not be disappointed with the crew. If you don't like trick taking games, or if you haven't played trick-taking games, you will probably not be disappointed in the crew. My old roommate did not like trick-taking games, and he was disappointed in the crew, but I think that's an anomaly. It's a fantastic <laughs> game, and I highly, highly recommend the crew. And I like that as a recommendation for a like a low-complexity, entry-level cooperative game because a lot of people have played trick-taking games. I mean, we live in the Midwest, and so Euchre is very popular. Um, but I, I remember as a kid, you know, messing around on my, like, you know, windows xp or whatever version of hearts because like there was nothing else to do when i was like eight and so like i remember just kind of clicking through it and like kind of figuring out what a trick-taking game was i think a lot of people are really familiar with it um so that's the great thing about that game is that you will already if you've played any sort of trick-taking game you'll under understand the majority of how to play that game it's just a couple of extra rules to make it a cooperative game and and you'll have a lot of fun absolutely so the mechanics just running through the mech system real quick the mechanics that I had were a 6.5. Nothing super flashy about the game, but I do like how they have 50 different games inside the box because there's 50 different missions, 50 different ways to play the game. That's awesome. Checking that re- replayability. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the mechanics were at a 6.5. The experience was at an 8. I have not played this game a lot, but every single time I've played it, I've really enjoyed it, and that's been with people who don't necessarily enjoy it. So I'm really excited to play this game with people that love trick-taking games and i think you know this will be one that just hits the table repeatedly for us and then the components the components i had at a five i mean it's a deck of cards right the theme is pretty cool like you're you're going on a space mission but it's a deck of cards i i i mean the the box is like not a lot to it three inches by five inches so it's tiny so i i do like small boxes i'm a fan of that but yeah i mean like 
whatever, right? It, it's it's a yeah. deck of cards. Yeah, so that that brings my overall weighted score to a 7.1. Yeah. Awesome. So what about you? What's your low complexity? Uh, so we talked about Magic Maze earlier, and that would be my low complexity game. So Magic Maze is very simple to set up. Um, you're kind of just like flipping tiles that show you the different rooms. You know, you when you open it up, you don't have to like learn a like player power, right? But it you do have something that is asymmetrical that only you can do. And so it's like this the most extremely simplified version of an asymmetrical player power, which is I can only move in one direction. And it's cool because it introduces you to that feel. Like what does it feel like to, for people to be able to do different things and have a different role on the team? But it's easy to understand right? Because there's not like, it's not like Spirit Island where I have to like learn all these things that the spirit can do. And there's all these elements. It gets really confusing. Um, Magic Maze is like distilled down to just the core of a, um, of a cooperative game. It's again in that like $20, $25 range, really easy to pick up. And so for me, um, I had Magic Maze rated uh, for mechanics. I had it rated at a seven. Um, and that's because I think like the, the movement portion, everybody doing their thing at the same time, I think that's really that's really novel, and I, I liked that a lot. Experience I had at a seven and a half. Um, there's no downtime. You know, you're typically like very involved. You're looking at the board. You know, there's a ton of replayability in it because it does actually like scale up in complexity. And honestly, like the later missions are pretty hard. Like it's it's hard to win some of the later missions in Magic Maze. And then components, I was kind of similar. I had that rated at a five, and that's because I'm not like crazy about the theme. You know, the artwork isn't like super intense. Um, but the game, like all the all the pieces that you need, they function like perfectly well. You know, the game's like perfectly functional. It's just like not necessarily like pretty to look at or something like that. Um, but a great pickup for someone who's looking for a first uh, a first cooperative game. Yeah, and one of the things that I remember now, my favorite mechanic in that game is that the timer is done with like a uh, a sand timer, so like the hourglass. Right. And when when you move on to like one of those safe spaces you what you do is you flip the sand timer so like you i think it's a three minute sand timer and like there are spaces that you can move on where you flip the sand timer um so you get like another three right. minutes yeah, yeah that was so you have to like kind of time that out on when do i want to jump on this and like there's some i've like i've been sitting there like waiting and like oh the does she see it does she see that she needs to move on to the sand timer oh my goodness it's, and then she just like flips <laughs> it at the last second and it's like oh she was just waiting but it's it's like oh man I just yeah. like oh oh yep check my pulse yep okay yeah it's yeah it's pretty high yeah I need to I need to calm down <laughs> uh, but I yeah I I just I think that's really a amazing game so let let's snake draft it again uh, medium what's your medium yeah. recommendation uh, so my medium recommendation I would go back to Nemesis actually which I which I talked about earlier I think that's a great game that introduces some additional mechanics like it keeps the it keeps the asymmetrical player powers, but the like enemy movement and actions are not that hard to understand. They're pretty straightforward. They're pretty approachable. Um, so like, and, and then there's also just this this idea where you're crawling through a, a ship that's like falling apart, and you're trying to restart systems. And so if an alien pops out um, and enters like the same room that you are, you kind of lose like some. It, it changes the way your actions work. But to a new player, it's very straightforward to understand it's like alien in your room equals bat right like <laughs> that 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 is that's a, i don't want to be around that aliens. is the motto like, i, want to I live shoot my them life or run away <laughs> alien right, in exactly. my room equals bad is top yeah. of the list for me 
<laughs> it's top of the, right so like y- y- the interactions that it has has like a medium complexity but like the understanding is not like super it's not like again i keep comparing things to spirit island because we've been playing a lot of that but it's not like spirit island gloomhaven some of your like high complexity things um where it's kind of difficult to understand how exactly the enemy is going to move it's like okay there's an alien and they're going to move towards me and i need to like figure out a way to deal with that like that's that's kind of how the enemy moves and so it keeps it in that like it's introducing asymmetrical player powers it's introducing um, secret objectives that are affecting the ways that players are, are moving and, and controlling their actions but it's not like overly hard to understand it's a great game i recommend it highly that's awesome considering it's a it's a not a very well-known game not a lot of people know about it i kind of you know it's not that high highly ranked and some people that may be listening or speaking on the podcast have not heard about it run through your mech system for me <laughs> <laughs> You know, some people, some people don't look outside of games outside the top twenty-five. If something's ranked thirty-three, it doesn't really make. Sense. Uh, what, thirty-three, so. ten thousand, six in one hand, <laughs> half a dozen in the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mech rating for me, mechanics. I feel like I would, um, I'd rank it kind of like alongside things like Dead of Winter. I have Dead of Winter at like a seven and a half on mechanics. I think I would rank this one probably an eight. Um, I think it flows really neatly there's a lot of it it does a really good job with the like you have um like the soldier and you have like the scientists and so they're like the roles are doing very different things they have like different starting items that they start with and that sort of thing so their turns it just kind of it's one of those games where it's asymmetrical enough to where you feel like you're playing a different game not just a different person so i really like that about it um the experience for for me it doesn't have enough of increase in complexity to rank really highly in replayability. Um, so I had it rated at a seven um, because there is still a lot of replayability or a lot of different circumstances in terms of who's playing what and what are their secret objectives and how does that influence the game. And and there is actually some randomness in, in the kind of what ends the game. I don't want to like get too, give too much away and get too much into it, but there's some randomness there of like kind of what the objective is and how it ends, the, how the game ends. But it's not like something like uh, Elder Tor where you are like changing the scenario significantly um, to make the game more difficult for yourself. And the components I had at uh, at an eight and a half, I think that the it, it's like it's really great artwork. Again, the theming is like really fun for a cooperative game. Um, it comes it's sort of like uh, Scythe where it comes with different like size alien models that are like a gray plastic that you can like paint yourself and by and so they kind of. It allows you to kind of customize your own game, and and the um, and the models are really detailed and, and really well done. Um, so I had that components in an eight and a half for that game, which gives it an overall score of seven point six for me. Okay, yeah, I I think I I'm ready to get into some of those indie unknown games, so I I think I'll be checking that one out. <laughs> <laughs> ready to step out. I'm like I'm actually like baffled by this that I have not heard of this game. I, do you have any idea like what a point of pride this is for me? Yeah, no, I and like the, and I'm like, proposing this game that's like a top fifty game that you don't know about. And like I, I thought I could almost name them like one to fifty. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I don't know. Like I feel like this is some elaborate prank. I'm gonna have to go like sit and listen to like emo rock <laughs> and lay in my bed, like, just like contemplate my I life. I actually, I secretly, <laughs> yeah, I secretly designed. And released a game and controlled the marketing specifically so that you did not see That's it. That's impressive. But it did well enough to where it got in the top fifty. I, yeah, I mean, it was, I, pretty, it was pretty extravagant. Yeah, I, 
<laughs> Congratulations, sir. <laughs> a round of applause yeah. for me. <laughs> What's your uh, recommendation for a meeting? <laughs> so, so the medium complexity was actually a little bit difficult for me and, and not necessarily coming up with a medium complexity recommendation, but the recommendation that I have bounces between low and medium, depending on what you're playing. And that my, my, uh, my recommendation for this one would be Mysterium. And so, <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah. Mysterium is a game where it, it's not necessarily like a DM versus the players because the DM is on the player's side, whereas like the the theme is you're all the players are investigating a murder, where uh, the the DM or the uh, the ghost in Mysterium is what it's called is the the victim of the murder, and so it's it's like a cooperative clue, and so if you've ever played Dixit or you know what, like, I don't know, like highly beautiful tarot cards kind of look like. The only way that the ghost or the DM can come, like, communicate with the players is by passing them these, like, vision cards, which are just like these abstract art looking things. And then the investigators have to guess a person, place, and a, a thing that killed the, uh, the DM or the ghost. And then the expansion adds, changes the things for the event or the motive. And it's, it's not very, it's not a highly complex game for the guessers, but for the, <laughs> but for the clue giver, the ghost, I, I think it jumps into right. that medium category because it is so hard because the ghost yeah. is not allowed to talk to the players and they have to communicate ideas and feelings in like abstract looking art. The art is gorgeous. The art is phenomenal. In oh, this it's game. amazing. And the, the, the way that you communicate that. It, it it's kind of goes back to, you know, some some of the themes that we've been talking about where you build a local meta where it's like, okay, you know, I know that if I hand someone three cards and they're all the same color, I'm probably trying to give them a clue on color rather than content on the card. And just stuff like that, where it rewards repeated plays, but it's also a very collaborative game on the guesser side where you flip up, you know, your one to three vision cards. And then everyone gets to discuss and try and figure out who you're investigating. And I, I, I've never had a bad experience playing Mysterium. It's just, it's one of those games that just like anytime someone says I want to play Mysterium, I'm like, yeah, let let's do Mysterium. Um, can I be the clue giver? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it does a, a really good job. We were talking, or I was talking earlier about uh, localizing complexity. Um, because you're right, like setup is really tough in Mysterium. Surprisingly um, so. And like, the actions, yeah, yeah, like it takes a whole, it's kind of complex to get through. But, and then your actions as the clue giver, it's it requires a ton of thinking. But when you are the guesser, you have a, you're, you're getting all this input from your, from your teammates that you're working with. It still maintains the ability for you to make your own decision. Um, but then it lets you like vote on, or not vote, but like guess on whether you think other people's decisions are right or wrong, right? So you can be sitting there like, hey, this is your guy. Like you need to investigate this guy. And someone's like, no, I don't believe you. I'm going to go investigate this other thing. And you're like, no, you're wrong. Like, I, And you actually get a game mechanic to like say, no, you're wrong. And if you are correct that they are wrong, you get like points for that, right? And so that, and, um, or if you give them advice and they guess what you want and you're like, yeah, I absolutely think you're right. You can double down on that too. And you can say, I think you're right. And you get points for that. And so I think it's one of the most approachable, like cooperative games. Um, again, like you said, I think it, I think it essentially maxes out in components for me personally, just because the artwork is absolutely gorgeous. It has a ton of replayability, even though it's not like getting more complex each time, but it has like the, 
uh, the code names feel of like as soon as you play it, someone at the table will want to be the clue giver. They will want to be the ghost, and so they get to try that, and everyone else gets to try guessing again. Um, so I, I, it's it's one of the cooperative games I think that I recommend most highly for sure. Absolutely, and it, it's so easy to bring people in because if you are the clue giver, it's it's a very simple game because of how simple it is. The mechanics readings kind of suffer for me. I, I gave it a five and a half mechanics because all mm-hmm. you're doing is getting cards and you're guessing. But I think that kind of gets weighted uh, higher because the experience I gave it an eight. And then the components, I gave it a nine. And since I have yeah. my personal rating of mechanics so high at a 40%, that does like bring Mysterium to like an overall of 7.1. And, uh, and but like the experience is like just like top, not that doesn't top the charts, but like the experience is one of those that it's like, yeah, I will play Mysterium anytime, anywhere. Absolutely. And I think that's a great one to pick up again, if you have like some experience as a board gamer, but you're looking for something to expand your library for people who are are new gamers. I think Mysterium is a fantastic thing to try and bring people into. So what about our favorite category, the high complexity cooperative games? I mean, I think I know, but I I have to ask you anyway. So what is your, what is your recommendation for high complexity cooperative games? Spirit Island... Uh, There it uh, is. (laughs) It it is one of the games that I, I, did not even think that I did not even think about not putting it in the high complexity. It is a very complex game without a doubt. Like I would not give this to a new player. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot going on. It is, it's a lot to take in. And honestly, it's one of the cooperative games out there where if you don't understand at least a little bit, what's going on in the enemy phase or like the game phase, it's not going to be good. You, You have to understand the mechanics of, First they ravage, then they build, then they explore, and you have to like kind of understand how that works so you can mitigate it going forward because you take actions before and after the enemy's phase. So it's like all this like this interweaving web of complexity. And so it without a doubt it goes into the high uh, the high complexity category. We have talked a lot about this game, but the the other things that I kind of want to highlight is that every single spirit plays almost completely uniquely they have two different tracks they have innate abilities they have a starting hand that is different than everybody else's and then as you're going through the game you're adding powers from a common pool so like there are there's like minor and major powers that you can add to your hand and the the minor and major powers are a common pool so you whenever you gain a minor power or a major power you draw four and you choose one of them so you get to kind of like customize your deck to fit your play style. And there, I mean, there's so many spirits out there right now. I keep trying to get my hands on the Spirit Island Promo Pack 1, which comes with two spirits. I'm getting the Promo Pack 2 with the latest Kickstarter, which also is coming with like 12 new spirits. So like when, when this Kickstarter like gets delivered, oh, I don't see myself like getting up from the table for like a week straight. Just like I, I'm going to play all of these spirits like in one sit. <laughs> Just because, <laughs> just a bunch of spirit yeah. Island. I mean, it, like, and we've played it multiple times in the same day, in the same night. It just like, yep. Like I, I have yet. This is one of the games where I, I sit down and I'm like, I enjoy playing this game, and I will play this game multiple, multiple times. That that is one of the longer games. So like, Codenames, I'll do that. Mysterium, it's a fairly short game. I'll do that. Spirit Island takes two hours, and I'll play it three times in a row. Like, I will just do that. I. I I, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't necessarily know what 
it is about that game that just like gets me going. I, I would say that for me, it's that if you are an experienced gamer and you like to um, do what we do and analyze the different you know mechanics that are at play in Spirit Island, um, I think Spirit Island is masterful at the execution of every mechanic in its game. It is masterful in the execution of making the game harder for you. The way that you get to implement that and the way that the enemies move and that sort of thing is insanely fun to, to look at and work through. Um, it's masterful in the way that you grow, right? The like sort of engine building part that's going on, but it's really just like your own personal growth. It, it's masterful in the, as the asymmetrical powers because it's not like Pandemic where you feel like you're playing the game, but with a slight twist of a different character. It feels like you're playing an entirely different game. Right when you're playing these different characters, so like every, it's almost like Gaia Project in that way. Like when I break down the different mechanics and like sections of the game, like almost sections of like the rule book, right? It's like this was done masterfully, and then I like flip to the next section. And it's like this was also done masterfully, <laughs> yeah. and I like worked through the game, and it's all done that way. So, what is your mech rating for Spirit Island? To give us the rundown. Yeah, this is it's it's an interesting question because it's the only game that is now in my top five that we don't have a mech rating on record for because you know we we did the top five mm. board games where we in our show notes we posted our our mech rating for that and so this is the one that is you know kind of made its way into the top five so we haven't heard a mech rating for it but mechanics is at an eight honestly i, I rated this a while ago i may bump that up just like i i, I can't necessarily think of anything that's bad mechanic wise in there i guess the only thing which i think of as a plus but some people may think of as a minus is as you add expansions you are adding cards to like the major and minor power deck which makes it harder mm, yeah. to look for that card that you necessarily need but i think i think of that as more of a challenge than it is a detriment uh it's like okay this okay. this is what i have what can i do with it uh experience i have at a nine Components I have at a nine, and that that brings the overall to an eight point six. The one last thing I want to say for this is that I got this game in a trade, and I traded Seven Wonders Duel for it, and I think that is the greatest trade of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and then subsequently, yeah, if there was ever a reason to do trades, it would be just like you are like the the uh, the trophy case for why you would want. Yeah, to exactly. Do and then like in the in the next like math trade on Board Game Geek, I I then got. Seven Wonders Duel back. So, <laughs> like, nice. I was just like, yeah, I will give up Seven Wonders Duel for Spirit Island. Yeah, of course I'll do that. And never looked <laughs> back. But, well, I, I guess I did because I got it back. But whatever. <laughs> but, but anyways, what, yeah. uh, what, what's, uh, what, are you cap what are you capping off the discussion with? What's the high-complexity cooperative game that you are recommending to our listeners? Yeah, so my high-complexity, and this, this, um, this game has a lot of nostalgia for me. I think it would be one of my first cooperative games that I just really fell in love with. Um, so it, Robinson Crusoe. And actually, I think it has like more of a title, right? It's Robinson Crusoe Adventures on Cursed the Island. Cursed Island yeah. something, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I absolutely love that game. That is the first game that I ever played solo. Um, so there's a really good solo variant of Robinson Crusoe. And I don't know. I feel like if I'm going to start raving about it, I'm going to rave about it for the same reasons that um, that I rave about Spirit Island. Um, that it has like multiple scenarios you can play through. So there's all this um, replayability built into it. Um, there's, again, asymmetrical player powers. One thing I think that it does really well, though, is there's not that many things, or it's not that there's not that many th there's things that you can do on your turn. It's, it's that your turns are straightforward and 
um, like the phases kind of make sense and you have a limited number of actions. And I love games that um, limit your number of actions. Robinson Crusoe, you get two actions and each one represents half of a day. And so it's like I'm spending half of my day like foraging or I'm spending half of my day building something or something like that. And you can do two different actions if you want. But if you do that, you incur a risk and you have to roll this, you have to roll the equivalent of like a danger die that might hurt you or have some other negative effect. Or you can spend your whole day doing that sort of like safely and mitigate that risk. Um, and now you're not going to take any damage from it. And the first time you play Robinson Crusoe, you will do everything on a full day and you will never roll one of those danger die and you will lose the game. <laughs> and it's really, I, I love losing cooperative games. We've talked about this personally, but I don't know if we talked about it too. Oh yeah, we did. We talked about it right at the beginning. What makes a cooperative game good um, is that there has to be a danger of losing it, right? And there is a there is an a, immense danger of losing Robinson Crusoe by playing it too safe. Like you have to take risk, and risk in a game in a, is really important in a cooperative game because you need to feel like you're sort of beating the odds, um, but the odds also can't be unfair, right? And one reason they, or one way to make them not unfair is by allowing you to mitigate the risk. And so when, in Robinson Crusoe, when you take two different actions and something bad happens, there's always this voice in the back of your mind that says, that was unlucky, but I could have done something about it. And I chose this. And so it doesn't feel like I got cheated, right? It feels like this is the consequence of my hastiness. And I've been punished for that. And that feels right. And so it just feels so balanced. It feels so clean. You're only taking, again, those two actions, and so even explaining it to new players, even though it is a complex game, there's not that much they can do on their turn, and so it's not like an overwhelming amount of information coming in. And so, and again, it was just, it was the first one that I fell in love with. So Robinson Crusoe, very highly ranked cooperative game for me. That That is the game that, or one of the games where I bought Sight on Steam without actually understanding what was going on because of your recommendation, where like... I, I, I saw it in a game store. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, I heard this is phenomenal. And it was kind of the time where it was in between print runs. So it was kind of hard to find. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy this right now. Right. Never looked back. I mean, like, it, right. the, this game is great. Uh, it switched publishers about a year ago. And they put out a new uh, expansion for it called Mystery Tales, which is like a campaign expansion, which I really want to try. So, okay. Yeah. So whenever we are able to do that, we, we should definitely dig into that one. Robinson Crusoe is fun. I remember the first time that I played it, I played it with one of my cousins. And, like, there's so many things that you have to be mitigating, so many risks that you have to be mitigating in Robinson Crusoe. Like, you have to explore to find food, to find wood, to build a bonfire, to build shelter, to kill animals. And then, like, we we lost so badly the first game that we just, like, we all we did was explore. And, like, the way that we, the way that we like, described our playthrough is, like, yeah, we pretty much just like started the game, ran naked through the woods, and then died. Like <laughs> we just like <laughs> freedom, and we just like ran, and we we lost horribly. I think we froze to death. Like it, it was just, <laughs> but like, but, I mean, it. There's so many mechanics. It's such a wide and deep game. Um, highly recommend. What's what's the mech rating Absolutely. that you got on that one? Yeah, this is one of my actually one of my higher ranked games that is not in my top five. So I think it's like one of those games that's like just poking at my top five um, by the mech system. Pretty consistent across the board. So I have it at an eight at mechanics. Um, if I'm being honest, like you said, it is wide and it is deep, and there are some of those sort of depths of mechanics that I don't always explore. Some of the hunting and stuff like that that just it's hard to like kind of take advantage of every mechanic in every game. Um, so that's why that maybe doesn't rank as highly. 
experience. I have it at nine. Um, some of that, again, is just like personal bias um, because I, I just I love the game so much. But I, I think also the, again, the asymmetrical player powers, the um, replayability of multiple scenarios, the simplicity of not getting overwhelmed on your turn, the, the risk reward of using your half day for two different things, or uh, there's just, there's a lot of reasons why the experience is so high for me. And then components eight and a half, I think we, we talked about cooperative games needing to have a great theme. Um, and I think Robinson Crusoe lends itself so naturally to a cooperative game, right? Like that can never be a competitive game. It, it would have to be, we are all stranded on an island and we need to figure out how to survive together. So I, I think that just, that falls really naturally. And, and it's, it's got great artwork. It's got a great board. There, there's other reasons why the components is so high. Um, so overall, that lands me at an 8.6 for Robinson Crusoe. Awesome. I love the, I love all of those recommendations. I, 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 I knew going into this episode that we were going to come out with six very solid recommendations. So I'm glad with that. So if, unless you have anything else to add, I'm ready to wrap this guy up. Okay. So it. put it away. So here, here's the, the plug to the social media section. I, you know, we have different sections. This is this section. So <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> So if you want to find us, we're pretty much anywhere online. Uh, you can search Fantasy and Some Flight on pretty much any social media and find us. The only one that's different would be Twitter, and that's at and some flights because they have a character limit, and we could not fit our entire name. Uh, but like Instagram, Facebook, website, fantasyandsomeflights.com. Reach out to us. We love hearing from you. We love interacting with you guys. And send us icebreaker questions. Check out pictures of board games and uh, random books and stuff. So it, it, mm-hmm. it's fun. So, yeah, I'm so excited that I'm so excited that we don't have to come up with icebreaker questions <laughs> anymore, you know, cause we have enough people submitting yeah. them. So, so yeah, keep that coming. Absolutely. For sure. Keep that coming. So if, if that's all, then I think I'm ready to sign off. So nice talking with you, buddy. And cheers. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers.